You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Greg Lowry. Uh, he's the Walter J. Blanco Senior Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering. He's a Deputy Director of the NSF EPA Center for Environmental Implications of Nanotechnology and on the Editorial Board for Environmental Science, Nano and Nature, Scientific Data. Uh, he's got a lot of accolades and we're going to talk about his research. So thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I guess, you know, to start with, in, in simple terms, what, what is your research about? Uh, so my, my research group right now is really focused on trying to make agriculture more sustainable. So what motivates us a bit is that, you know, the world is becoming more populated. We're going to hit 10 billion people by 2050. We need to feed everybody. Um, and that's not going to be easy to do. Agriculture is, is very inefficient in its current state, uh, you know, think about the scale of agriculture. It uses about 70% of all freshwater on the planet is consumed from agriculture. 25% of greenhouse gases uh, are emitted from agriculture and something between 15 and 30% of energy use goes to agriculture. And it's quite unsustainable. So we're focused on trying to make the inputs to agriculture uh, more efficient uh, to increase sustainability, we're working on ways of making uh, or delivering those chemicals to the plants more efficient and making the plants themselves more resilient uh, to things like climate change. So, all right. So you want to work on what the plants that feed a large percentage of the world, like rice and you know wheat and things like that, or I mean, which plants will be targeted? And then we'll ask about how. So, so we've worked on wheat, we've worked on corn, we've worked on tomato uh, and canola. So, so various plants, um, but a lot of them are the large crop grain, uh, grain uh, crops that people are interested in. Okay, so when you say work on them, like what, what are you trying to do to the plants? Are you trying to do genetic knockouts or you know, breed them in a certain way? Where, I mean, what, what will change about them once you've successfully worked on them? So, so we engineer uh, nanomaterials to deliver nutrients to the plants better. And basically, we'll help them to grow in soils that are deficient in certain uh, micronutrients. Um, and it can also be used to make them more resilient to, to climate change. So, so heat waves, uh, potentially things like uh, saline waters that affect plants, um, we can deliver nanomaterials to those plants to make them more resilient to those kinds of climate effects. Okay. So, uh, all right. Depleted soil 
how would a plant overcome? Like, what would be depleted about soil typically? Sure. So many, many soils uh, are deficient in essential micronutrients to plants like zinc or iron, or the soil has uh, a certain condition like a high pH alkaline soils. Uh, It's very difficult for plants to take up micronutrients like zinc and iron in soils that are high pH. So adding those metals to the soils is one way that people can address this. The problem is the soil itself is sequestering the metal and making it impossible for the plant to, to, to get. So our approach is to put these metals onto the leaves of the plants. And then because they're nano, they're, they're a small size particle, they can go through the leaf and into the plant and distribute to the part of the plant that requires those nutrients. Okay. All right. So you'd, you'd be, uh, I guess maybe you'd spray the, you know, a field with let's say zinc if it was deficient, but because you'd be spraying it, they mean a carrier with nanoparticles of zinc, it would be absorbed more likely. Right? So, so we, we target leaves, we target uptake of, of, it could be a nutrient pesticide or whatever. We target putting the materials into the leaf directly into the plant, as opposed to putting it in the soil. And the reason is you can be much more efficient in putting things onto the leaves of plants than on soil. Because imagine if you spray something on soil, it needs to move through the soil, it needs to get to the root zone, it needs to find a root and, and go into the plant that way. And it's, that soil delivery is very inefficient. So, so we're greatly improving the efficiency of uptake of agrochemicals by putting them on the leaves. Okay, I, I get you. All right. Um, so there's that. And then uh, in terms of climate change, experimentally, what is, you know, I'm sure in labs people have modeled it. So what is it doing to plants, you know, specifically the plants that we're subsisting on? How is it affecting yeah. them? Yeah, so that's a good question. So, so plants have to uh, undergo photosynthesis, right? They take sunlight uh, and CO2 from the atmosphere and they turn those into sugars. If you stress a plant, so if a plant, if it gets really hot, so imagine you have a, a, um, a heat wave that's three, four or five days long and the temperatures are extremely high for plants, say 40 degrees C or 40, 44 degrees C, um, that's pretty hot. Uh, the, the plant's photosynthesis system starts to uh, not work as well, right? It produces reactive oxygen and it just becomes less efficient. And if it lasts long enough, the plant will die from that. Um, you can use a cerium oxide nanoparticle, which is an antioxidant, kind of like vitamin C, like people take vitamin C. Um, if we can put that nanoparticle on the chloroplast, the part of the plant in the leaf that's actually doing the photosynthesis, that material quenches the reactive oxygen. It acts as an antioxidant and it prevents that damage from happening. So the simplest way to about it is you, you, you spray this plant with this particle, the particle goes into the plant and is helping the chloroplast to overcome the, uh, the adversity of either heat or salinity. And it keeps the plant um, from dying from those extreme events. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, how, what's the window on, on how long you'd have to intervene? Or, and, and if the change is persistent versus intermittent, how does that change what you have to do? Yeah, so so one of the interesting things that we're working on, and, and this is sort of a newer area, is we're, we're developing nanocarriers that we can put these antioxidants in. 
um, or any agrochemical that we want that are responsive to temperature. So the idea if in this case is that we take this material, we load it with what the plant needs to overcome, say, the, the, the heat wave. It's inside the plant. It stays inside the plant in the vasculature of the plant until the temperature gets hot enough. And when the temperature gets to the, above a certain level, then this polymer carrier that it's in changes form and releases the chemical right when it's needed at the temperature that it's needed. So it's almost like immunizing your plants. You're, you're, we're going to give these things to the plants ahead of time. They're immunized now. When it gets hot enough, it's going to release the chemical that it needs. All right, that makes sense. So if you have a, a plant that you plant every season, let's say corn, you do the immunization, um, you know, every year so that they would last the whole season and you'd be okay. That that would be the idea. So, and then the question of wh- what stage would you do that? Would you do that at the seedling stage? Would you do that at some point early in the growth season when you don't expect the heat waves to come so that you're prepared for when they do? Um, all of that kind of application side still needs to be worked out. Okay. What about, um, I mean, I know you can't do it for all plants, but what about plants that take years to bear fruit, literally fruit trees, things like that, that may take, you know, three to five years or be in a long-term cycle. What would you do for them? Yeah. So, so trees are a little challenging, but, um, so people have looked at citrus in particular. So citrus greening is this, is this infection that, that citrus trees get and it's kind of wiped out the citrus industry in Florida. It's moving its way to California now. Um, So people are looking at ways of getting things into plants, into these trees. And, you know, you can inject them into the trunk. You could inject them into branches. Um, But what we've been working on is a way to get the nanomaterial into the plant, including trees, through the leaves. So again, if you have this I guess I should back up a little bit and probably describe the leaf. So the the leaves on all plants are covered with this waxy material called a cuticle. And that cuticle's job is to prevent things from getting inside that plant. Um, We have developed coatings, specific coatings on these nanoparticles that allow them to penetrate through the cuticle and enter into the mesophyll of the leaf, right? Get through the epidermis, the outer outer um, layer of cells, get into the inner layer of cells, and then move throughout the plant. So, so for us, the way we would handle citrus trees is like any other plant. We would spray them on the leaves. The materials that we wanted would go inside the leaf, and pr- hopefully, is another thing we're working on. But hopefully, get them to associate with the, with the chloroplast in those leaves, and then they'd be there, ready to go when they're needed. Would it compromise the cuticle in terms of its permeability to other substances or it goes in and it's fine? It, it hasn't seemed to be a problem. So we, we actually have a, a little instrument and it measures, um, it measures the health of the plant. So it measures the CO2 flux and the oxygen and the water flux in and out of the stomata, the little openings on the leaf. And when we spray these particles on the leaf, um, the tree hasn't, it hasn't affected the health. It hasn't affected the, the respiration of that leaf. So we don't think that's a problem. Um, the coatings that we've been using, uh, the one that was recently published was, a, was called polyvinyl pyrrolidone, um, which is a polymer that's used in things like eye drops and in, in foods. So it's safe for people. Um, it seems to bring the particles through that, through that cuticle and into the leaf tissue uh, and it doesn't seem to disrupt the cuticle much. It's still there. 
Uh, we're working on understanding exactly how it does that so that we can modify the, the polymer's properties to make it do it even better. Um, but it hasn't been a problem uh, affecting the cuticle negatively that way. Well, I guess there would be trade-offs. If you do this early, um, there's not a lot of leaves, but if you do it on a mature canopy, how do you get to all the leaves? You know, and if you do it early on a few leaves, does it, is that enough for the plant to uh, do what it needs to do or do new leaves that come need to be treated as well? Yeah. So, so if you needed something to be in the chloroplast of every leaf, um, then you'd, you'd probably need to anticipate a heat wave and treat the trees uh, before the heat wave occurs um, or before whatever event you're looking at. But, you know, we spray trees all the time uh, with things. So, so pesticides and, and um, well, primarily pesticides are, are sprayed onto the canopies of, of fruit trees all the time. So, so that's not a problem. Um, the real chemistry, the real advance that I think we've made uh, in the last year or two is to understand or begin to understand how these coatings are allowing the particles to penetrate through the leaves and get into those leaves and we just got a recent NSF grant to try and put special coatings on the outside of those particles that make them not only go into the leaf and into the tissue of the leaf, but target specific cells that we want in that leaf. And in our case, that happens to be a chloroplast. What if um, when what you spray goes into the leaf and bypasses the cuticle, but it entrains pesticides and brings them into the plants in greater amounts than they normally would be? Um. So, so you're considering the case if if there's already some sort of pesticide sprayed on the leaf, would that would that move that pesticide into the leaf and into the plant along right. with particles? Right. Um, we we haven't explored that. We haven't thought through that. I could imagine. So, so many of the of the coatings that we use are are hydrophobic in nature, um, and that actually helps them move through the cuticle. We believe because the cuticle is also hydrophobic. Um, so if a hydrophobic pesticide associated with the hydrophobic polymer, then it very well could move inside the plant. Um, and that would be, I guess that would be problematic for things that you wanted to keep on outside of the leaf. Uh, but the reality is most pesticides that are used, um, they want them to go into the plant, uh, and, and actually delivering them into, through the leaf, through the cuticle and into the plant tissue is, is a major challenge. And, and what we've developed and with the technologies and the coatings that we've developed to move nanomaterials through, we believe we can also move some of these agrochemicals through the leaf and into the plant more efficiently than what's currently done. Uh, okay, I see. So, right, your understanding of the cuticle is critical because you can either keep stuff out or get stuff in there more effectively. Absolutely. And this is, you know, the, the, the cuticle chemistry is, is fairly well studied. People, people know. Now, it does change quite a bit from plant to plant. It even changes depending on um, whether a plant is, is healthy or not. The cuticle might change. So there's some real challenges to making a material that's robust enough to, to get through most cuticles. So, so here, here, citrus is a great example of that. So citrus trees, as they age, um, and you want the older trees because they produce more fruit, as they age, the, the cuticle gets very thick on the leaves of a citrus plant. So citrus, we haven't actually worked directly with citrus yet, but citrus represents a, a significant challenge given the thickness of that cuticle in, in moving things through it. And uh, 
what about the stomata on the leaves? Is there a preferential time where people apply pesticides, you know, knowing that the stomata are open? Is that an entryway into the leaf possibly? And could you use that? So, so yes, we can. Um, we're, we're working on this now. We're trying to understand a little bit better what the routes of entry are. Um, what we believe is happening is particles with coatings that are hydrophilic, so a little more water-loving and easily dispersed in water, will enter leaves through the stomatal opening. Um, but particles that are more hydrophobic are, are more likely to go through the cuticle itself, directly through the cuticle and into the mesophyll. So there's sort of two routes of entry um, into the leaf. I hadn't really mentioned the, the stomatal entry. Um, but interestingly, pathogens also get into the leaves through those stomata. So they're natural openings that the trees need, but bacteria, pathogenic ones, and, and even virus can make their way into those same stomatal openings and, and, and make the tree sick or make the plant sick. Um, so another thing that we're working on uh, with these coatings is trying to deliver the nanoparticles not necessarily through the leaf and into the mesophyll, but we're trying to attach them on that stomatal, the guard cell of the stomata. So think about, think about just taking that opening where the bacteria goes in, and with the right kind of coating, I can attach a, a particle that's a, an antibiotic particle, like something like silver or copper um, that's, that's used in agriculture already, um, I can put those particles on the edge of that stomata, and that would ensure that any bacteria trying to make its way in through that route of entry will will be killed before it makes it into the tree. Yeah, that's cool. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah that's a that, that's some newer work that we've been doing, and it turns out that there's some you know proteins that you can put on the outside of these particles that have a, a strong affinity for the certain arabinose groups, these sugar-like groups on the stomatal guard cells, and it gives you something to actually target to. It's, it's a lot like drug delivery in humans, right? We put, we put bio, biomolecules, so molecular recognition molecules on particles to get them to go to certain places inside our bodies. Um, we're doing the same thing for plants now. Oh, okay. Um, is there any point in uh, introducing nanoparticles that can be magnetized or that will respond to uh, I don't know, electric field and then inducing a field over uh, over a field of plants to do something? Or is that just way, way out there and there's no need for that kind of thing? Well, it's hard to say if there's no need for something. So, but, but, so I get where you're going with that, that, that this is kind of what we do with therapeutics in, in people. We certainly can make magnetic nanoparticles. That's, that's not a problem. We could even make a nanoparticle to do something that has a magnetic core uh, that we could take advantage of. Um, I haven't really thought a lot about how one might use magnets to move nanoparticles in plants to the locations where you want them, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, just, you know, just speculating. But uh, So uh, what would be a... Uh, I don't know, what would be like a super happy result for you if you could accomplish it in the next few years? Yeah, so so for us, I think being able to demonstrate that we can, can put a nanoparticle onto a plant leaf, um, whether it's a, a wheat leaf or, or a tomato leaf or an or a apple tree, whatever, and, and put those particles where we want them inside the plant. So, for example, I can say I'm going to spray something on this leaf, and I want I want 
95% of my particles to be co-associated with a chloroplast in this leaf, um, that would be a significant outcome for the kinds of things that we're trying to do. Okay. All right. Gotcha. So, so and that, it, that, that's sort of, that's sort of microscopic. I mean, in the, in the macroscopic way, what I really want to see happen is sort of transform the way we apply nutrients in agriculture and, and think about ways to deliver them much more efficiently than we're already doing. And, and what that'll do is that will improve the sustainability of agriculture. It'll lower all the environmental effects from agriculture, which primarily come from the runoff of pesticides and, and nutrients that, that never reach their targets. Mm, I see. I see. Hmm. I guess there's a recapture aspect to it, but that's probably a lot messier than making sure that the uptake is a lot more efficient. And there's less runoff in the beginning. Exactly. I mean, if I could, if I could take, if I could make a nitrogen form of these materials, and we would need a lot of them, so we haven't, we stayed away from nitrogen a bit. But if I could make a nitrogen form of these materials, apply nitrogen to plants through, you know, via the leaves, and then I don't have to fertilize anymore, and I don't have any fertilizer runoff. Um, I would have 100% uptake into the leaves. The nitrogen would all get used by the plant. And we wouldn't have hypoxia in the Gulf of Mexico anymore. We wouldn't waste 50% of the nitrogen that we use on fields. I mean, about half of it never, never gets used for the, for the crop. It runs off and it ends up causing damage in the environment. Wow, I didn't realize the numbers are so big. Huh. Yeah, it's very, agriculture is so inefficient. Um, and 50, 50% utilization efficiency of nitrogen is a, is, kind of, is a generous number. It's usually lower than that. Oh wow! Huh. It's just cheap, right? The the nitrogen yeah, yeah. fertilizers are so cheap that growers just use as much as they can because they want to they want to yield as high as possible. It's funny because I read a book about uh, it's called the Alchemy of Air. They talked about the Haber Bosch process and how mm-hmm. you know if it wasn't around, um, the the limit on population of people would probably be about a billion instead of what it is right now. So it's kind of funny that circumstances were dire you know, in the early 1900s and now it's the reverse. There's an abundance. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're still, there's an, there's an abundance, there's enough food. So the, the world can grow enough calories for, for the world, for the population right now. When we hit 10 billion, we need about 60% more food production uh, in the same amount of area and, or maybe even less area because our arable lands are declining. So it, it's going to be a challenge moving forward. And what, what seems like excess now and what seems like food security now, um, that could change pretty quickly, especially with climate change coming as fast as it is. That's true. What about, uh, well, I wasn't going to bring this up, but we could just add it in. Uh, what about, um, since you're learning how to get stuff into the leaves of plants, what about restoring the soil, you know, at least the top layer of soil? Are there any mechanisms by which you could introduce nanoparticles into soil? So then when you plant the fields, uh, the plants would uptake, you know, what they need and get the nutrients they need. Yeah, so that's a million-dollar question. People have been talking about artificial soils uh, for a long, long time. The thing about soil is it takes a long time to form, and it's it's not just a mixture of, of minerals and some organic matter. There's a lot of microorganisms, there's fungi, there's various components, and there's a matrix that forms in soil that's really, really difficult to replicate. 
So there, there's opportunities for nanomaterials in soils, I think, to be slow-release fertilizers, to, to, to maybe deliver new micronutrients under conditions where the soil pH is not so conducive to micronutrient delivery. Um, but in general, we're still a ways away from being able to, to artificially create soils. And I guess the challenges are so numerous and you have to be specialized to the point where someone's got to be just a soil person. That's it. And you're just a, uh, well, not just, but you have to focus on the leaves, for instance, as your mechanism. Yeah. I mean, but even soil, even soil experts would tell you that, that manufacturing the soil is something that we just can't do. Um, it's, it's a geologic process and it's very difficult to speed up and get right. And, but we need to, right? Soil erosion rates are much higher than soil formation rates. And I think the last I heard was about 30% higher erosion rates compared to production rates. So we're going to be losing soils and we're going to have to figure out a way to do agriculture whole new ways. And one of, uh, one of the ways we've been thinking about is sort of indoor agriculture, uh, controlled environment agriculture, which is great for things like tomatoes and strawberries, but it's pretty difficult or impossible for sorghum and, and wheat. We got gotcha. you. Well, very good. Um, Greg, we're just about out of time. What, what's the best way for people to find out more about your research and interact with you or, you know, Carnegie Mellon itself? What do you recommend? Um, well, so my website has some stuff on it, um, but I would say, you know, we, we produce a lot of journal publications uh, on the topic that, that people have access to. And we have done some other podcasts in the, ba- in the past um, as well on these topics. Okay. So you should look up Greg Lowry, Carnegie Mellon University, and that's where people will find a lot of information. You can certainly find more information, and you can always contact me. Um, okay. I, you know. Excellent. Well, very good. Well, Greg, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Good luck. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.